Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. Hear the word of the Lord. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Let's pray. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You all know how to do this. And from what I can tell, you all do it quite well. You often do it without much thinking. And in fact, you did it this morning in preparation for coming here. You got up. And you got undressed with whatever you had on last night. And then you got dressed for church. And as far as I can tell, you, you did a good job of it. You, you dressed appropriately. And you dressed according to your sex. The men like men. The women like women. You addressed according to your age. Uh, the, the more mature among us dressing as more mature. The, the kids dressing as kids. The young people dressing as young people. And you also dressed for the occasion. You dressed for church. You didn't dress for the beach. You didn't dress to go cycling. Uh, You dressed for church. And you all did that quite well. So congratulations. Good job on getting undressed and getting dressed. You did so appropriately. Now, that's what we're actually talking about here, Paul and Timothy are talking about, being dressed appropriately. And here we have a couple images And you might think that these images don't really go together. One of the images we've already been looking at, and that is death and resurrection. But we will see that in this text, Paul and Timothy transfer from death and resurrection to another image of getting undressed and getting dressed again. Getting undressed because we were dressed inappropriately and getting dressed in order to be dressed appropriately. But we will see that there's a connection between these two images. The death and resurrection image is the reason why we should get undressed and redressed again. So in the first, the first four verses, we see that once again, we learn and we hear them talking about the fact that we have been raised with Christ. In the previous text, we saw the emphasis was on the fact that we had died with Christ. Now, I want you to focus on prepositions here, because when we think about the Christian life, when we think about what Christ has done for us, we can sum it up with a couple of prepositions. One preposition is for. Christ died for us in our place. Christ rose for us in our place. And that's what we were celebrating in our songs today. Christ rose for us. But the preposition here is with. 
Christ died for us and we died with Christ. Christ was raised for us and we were raised with Christ. Here there's participation and that's the emphasis of this. And then Paul and Timothy spell out what that means for our lives. Because of our union with Christ, not only did we die with him, chapter 2, verse 20, but we rose with him. And since we have been raised with Christ, notice how this goes. If then... If then you have been raised with Christ, therefore, this is what you should do. Seek the things that are above, the things that are above. We should focus on our immediate surroundings. If we have been raised with Christ, and where is Christ? He's seated at the right hand of God. Then we should notice the things that are around us in the heavenly places. Now, what is the main attraction of the things above? The main attraction is Christ. Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Now, this reference to seated at the right hand of God, it's a reference about power, uh, that, that he is at God's right hand. And as I mentioned, Psalm 110, this is an allusion to Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Uh, this, is, this is also uh, reminiscent of the vision that we saw in uh, Daniel uh, Daniel chapter 7 of, of one like the Son of Man who would be exalted and rule over all things. And this is an image that is all through the New Testament, and we see it here again. And this is the main attraction of the things that are above, Christ. He's the focus of our attention. And so we have in verse 1, seek the things that are above. In verse 2, set your minds on things that are above. Now, in the next, uh, next verses, we'll see more concretely what are those things above. Uh, and they're in contrast with the things that are on earth. Verse 2, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Now, that may be vague at this point, but they're going to spell these out in very concrete terms. And uh, what we see is this image, this image of death with Christ and resurrection with Christ, is metaphorical now, but will be literal in the future. And so we see the metaphorical use of this in verse 3, and we see the literal use of this in verse 4. Look at verse 3. Set your minds on things above, not on things that are on the earth. But we're still on the earth. We're still here. We're still living out our lives. And so we are not yet at God's right hand with Christ. And so the meaning here is that we have been cut off, we have died to our old life, and we have been raised to a new life, even though we are still living on this earth. This is the metaphorical use of this. And it says that this new life, this new life is hidden with Christ in God. This new life is hidden with Christ. Where is Christ? Christ is at God's right hand. Where is this life? It is hidden with Christ. Now, what does this mean? This hiddenness does not mean that our faith should not be evident. It doesn't mean that we should hide our faith here. But what it means is that we have a, a secret power, not secret to us, but not visible to the world. It is, it is a hidden source of power. It is a hidden source of life that not all can see. We can experience, but it is not yet visible. This union with Christ is not a visible union with Christ yet. Yet, and yet, at the same time, it affects the way we live. It is lived, a life lived out of this, this hidden resource. And although this union with Christ is not yet visible, it is all-consuming. It is all-consuming. 
I want you to see how all-consuming this is. Look at the language here. It says, verse 3, For you have died, and what is hidden with Christ in God? Your life. How much of your life? All of your life. Every aspect of your life. It is hidden with Christ in God. It is not just a, a piece of your life that is connected to Christ in God. It is your life. And then look at verse 4. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Verse 3, and then verse 4. When Christ, then what's he say? Who is your life? Christ is your life. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, Christ is not some piece of your life, some aspect of your life, some religious corner of your life where you do your spiritual religious things. No, Christ is all-consuming. Christ is your life. Now, the death and resurrection of Christ and our participation in that death and resurrection with Christ will be literal on the last day. Look at verse 4. For when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Then it will, that which is hidden now will be visible. That, that relationship will be visible to all. Uh, it will be evident who is united to Christ and who is not united to Christ. That relationship will be visible and that resurrection will be a physical, bodily resurrection to reign with Christ from God's right hand. Now, this language may sound kind of vague, kind of spiritual, kind of impractical perhaps, but the rest of the letter spells out what this means, what it looks like here and now, starting with those earthly things and then moving on to those things above. So the rest of the text today is really focusing on the death with Christ and, and those earthly things to which we died. And then beginning next week, it will be the, the, the things above. And so, in a sense, what I'm doing today is, is, is helping us undress. Undress. To be dressed, you'll have to come back next week because then we start putting on things. But, but first of all, we need to, to put off, to take off those things that are no longer appropriate. And so verses 5 to 11 are about killing off or putting off. Here there are two images. Killing off or putting off the old stuff. The old stuff. So notice Verse 5, put to death, therefore, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And then we have two lists. So we have in verse 5, put to death, therefore. And then in verse 8, we have another image. But now you must put them all away. So there's putting them to death or putting them away, taking them off, stripping them off of us. And I want you to see something here, and this is, <clears throat> this is important to note. The nature of New Testament ethics, there were, there were people in the Colossian church, they were peddling their ethical scheme. And we saw in the last text, it was an ascetic ethical scheme about severe treatment of the body, denying ourselves. They thought that was the path to true spirituality, and, and Paul and Timothy rejected that, that asceticism. But here we see the true New Testament ethics, and it works like this. Living out what we already are in union with Christ. So, so the first chapters are about what we are, what we have, what Christ has done for us, who we are in Christ. And then the last half of this is, now, how do you live out what is a present reality? How do you live out on earth that, that present connection that you have with Christ who is at God's right hand? So it is, is really a question of being who we are. That's Christian ethics. Now, that should be encouraging to you 
Because most, most ethics are this. Try to be what you're not. Try to become what you're not. But Christian ethics are not like that. They're not frustrating like that. Because that, that's the counsel of, of, of other religions and philosophies and psychologies. Try to be different than what you are. No, the New Testament says, be what you are. Live out what you already are in Christ. Realize in your life that which you already have in connection with Christ, who is at God's right hand. And so what's the argument? If we died to Christ, I'm sorry, died with Christ to the old life, then we need to kill off and we need to put away the attitudes and the actions of that old life. And here we have, here we have two lists, two lists of five vices, we could say. And the first list is in verse 5, and then the next list is in verse 8. And then there's one add-on after that. So we have 11 things to kill off uh, or to put away. But they're grouped. And the first group of five vices have to do with inordinate or improper desires, desires of the flesh. Verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. These all have in common that they are desires that we have that are out of place. Sexual morality is the first one, and that's sexual activity outside of marriage between a man and a woman. Impurity is the next one, not only the activity, but the thoughts and the words as well. Passion, which is a neutral word. It can be good or can be bad, but here it's in a negative sense. It is misdirected sexual desire. And then evil desire, which we could translate as lust. And then it ends with covetousness. And it may be covetousness wanting things, but in this context, it may be wanting people, wanting another woman who is not my wife or another man who is not your husband. It may be that sort of covetousness, wanting, desiring that which is not or the person who is not ours. And it says that this covetousness is really idolatry. It's idolatry. It is worshiping something or someone other than God. That's the first list, these passions that are out of place and unruly. The second list has to do with vices that harm other people. Verse 8, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk. It's a little difficult to, to, to distinguish between the first two, anger and wrath, and different Different scholars have different ideas about this. One might be a simmering wrath, a resentment, or simmering anger, a resentment. And the other might be the, the explosive temper tantrum sort of anger. But it says, put these, put these different types of anger away. And then malice. Malice is ill will, delighting in or desiring the, the harm of others. And then slander is speaking ill about other people. And then obscene talk is some sort of denigration of other people. So all of these are against other people, harmful things to other people. And then, and then in, in, in addition to this list of five, five uh, desires and, and five harmful attitudes or activities, he adds, uh, or they add in verse 9, do not lie to one another. And so he tacks on lying. And all these things were characteristic of them in the past But he says, this is not how you should live any longer. And there are two main reasons. 
Two main reasons for killing off and putting away these vices. Verse 6, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. That's the, the negative reason, if you will. The wrath of God is coming on these things, so you certainly don't want to be practicing these things. But the main reason in this context is, is positive, and that's this. We, we used to live this way, but we no longer have to do this. Verse 7, in these you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them away because they no longer fit. They're no longer appropriate. You don't have to live like that anymore. Look at verse 9. Do not lie to one another. Seeing that you have put off, this is, the, this is a very descriptive word, stripped off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. This is the positive reason. This is not who you are anymore. You have stripped off the old self. And here's the definitive stripping off when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. That old self, is, we, we, we throw it away. We strip it off. It's been taken from us like filthy rags. And we, are, we have put on the new self. And what is this new self? Look at the language here in verse 10 which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. What's that language? That language is from Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, about, about the creation of, of male and female, of humans, according to knowledge in the, the image of God. And then there's that question of the knowledge and then where we went wrong with, with seeking uh, that, uh, that knowledge in the wrong way. But here it's, the idea is, is we have, we have stripped off this old self. We could say the old Adam. And we have put on the new self, the new human, the new person. And what is that new human? That new human is the one who is being recreated constantly, reformed constantly according to the original plan, according to the image of God to show forth who God is and what he is like. We see this imagery in the New Testament in Romans 13, 14. It simply says to put on Christ, to put on Christ. And then Galatians 3.27, those who have been baptized have clothed themselves with Christ. So it's putting off the old Adam and putting on the new Adam who is Christ. Now, the last thing that he adds on or they add on here is something else we should put away. But they, they, they end with this special emphasis. And that is in verse 11. Here there is not Greek and Jew circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. And here's another implication, another implication of the death and resurrection with Christ, and that is this. The erasure, the, the elimination of rankings among us, of rankings among us based on differences among humans. And here they mention different categories of differences among humans that, that we use. We use constantly to distinguish among ourselves and to put uh, different persons higher or lower on the, the ladder. And here, the first one is mentioned is racial. It says there is neither Greek nor Jew. That's how Jewish people looked at the world, and I suppose to this day look at the world. There are Jews and there are non-Jews. And the, the non-Jews are, are Greeks or Gentiles in the language here. And this was a, a huge, huge barrier. Uh, and, this is, and, and, and Paul and Timothy are saying, that's gone. 
In the church, it's eliminated that that long-lasting, centuries-old division between human and human. That's been taken away. And then, parallel to that, they mention circumcised and uncircumcised, which in a sense is the same thing, but the emphasis here is not on race, but the emphasis is on religion. Circumcision divided Greek and Jew, Gentile and Jew, but he says that's been taken away. And there's a great deal of discussion in the New Testament about about the fact that circumcision is is of no vantage anymore. It doesn't put people first in line anymore. It's it's not there to, to distinguish rankings in the church. And then there is the barbarian, Scythian. Now the barbarian, that's that's uh, not a very flattering term, is it? But but Paul and Timothy are using the words that a Greek would have used. If the Jew despised the Greek and the Greek despised the Jew, the Greek also despised the one that he called a barbarian. That is a non-Greek speaker. And so for the Greeks, there were Greeks and there were barbarians, everyone else who didn't speak Greek. And so uh, they were making their distinctions. And then the Scythians come in at the last of the line. The Scythians were, were the the lowest of the low in the social pecking order. They were on the bottom rung. They were barbarians, but they were the barbarians of the barbarians. And so the Greeks could despise the barbarians, and the barbarians could disguise, despise the Scythians. So they're at the bottom of the ladder. And then there was that also, that social or economic division between slave and free. Slave and free. So, so here, Paul and Timothy are taking aim at all of these various things that divided one from another and saying that there is no longer that division, that ranking in the church of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 11. It says, here. Where is here? Well, it's not completely clear what the here is. Here in the image of God that's being renewed, here among the people of God, these divisions are all taken away. I won't tell you where, but in one of my journeys, I got to go back to an area that I had visited, visited before. And when I'm away on the Lord's Day, which I try never to be, but sometimes I have to be, I seek out a church because I love to worship on the Lord's Day and worship with God's people wherever I might find them. So I was in this place years ago, and then I went back and I wanted to look up this church, but I couldn't find any evidence of it online. It had a website that was about 10 years out of date, and I couldn't get any information. I called the phone, and they didn't call me back. The, the email bounced, and I thought, this church doesn't look like it's doing very well. But then I looked online where I thought it was on the Google Maps, and I found it was on Google Maps, and then I found one a couple blocks from there. And I looked that one up, and it has an active website, and they, they, they said when their services were. And so we went to the one that looked like it was alive. And I thought, why are these two churches a couple blocks from each other? And then the pastor of the, the new church, as it turned out, told me the sad story of that older church. It still survives, barely, but it left our denomination. And I have to say, once I describe it to you, I'm glad it left our denomination Uh, that pastor of the new church had been pastor of that old church. And he was doing things like going out and trying to reach people for Christ. But the people didn't like that very much because he was reaching the wrong kind of people. And they told him very specifically that he was wasting his time at the prison because they didn't want that kind of person in their church. 
And then they also mentioned another racial group, and they said, we don't want you to be inviting that group. And so wisely, that pastor didn't continue with that church. He started another church where they're trying to reach whomever they can with the gospel, and that first church is dwindling away, and maybe that's exactly what should happen to that church. Now, we can hear this story and say, that's terrible. That's terrible that those, those people who call themselves Christians are like that. But I think if we're honest, every one of us has a group of Scythians in our life, a group that we tend to despise, a group that we tend to look down on, a group that would make us uncomfortable if they started pouring into our church. And that might be a different group for each of us. It might be a different race. It might be a different social class. It might be a a different educational category. It might be a different region of the country. It might be a different accent. It might be a, a different political alignment. Or it might be a different history. I have a friend who started a church a little bit after we did here, and he's having a rough go of it. Because the people who have come into the church and have come to Jesus Christ and have been baptized are former addicts who are getting free from their addiction. But he's having trouble reaching other people because other people don't want to be around that sort of people. What, what, would, what would ruin this church for you? What, what kind of people would ruin this church for you if they started coming here? What kind of people would, would be the ones that would come in here and you'd say, uh, I maybe don't want to worship here anymore. I think I'm going to to look for another church. You know, see, we all have those sort of people. And so this is not just for that church that I visited. This is not just for the Colossians. This is for each one of us, kind of to ask ourselves, who's the Scythian for me? Who's on the bottom rung for me? Who's the one that that I tend to despise? The one that I don't want to be around? The one that I would be uncomfortable having in my church? Paul and Timothy say, this is gone, folks. Because, listen to the, the reason But Christ is all. Christ is everything. And then he says, in all. In all. What's the second all here? Probably it it, it means in all people who come to faith in him. Even the Scythian. The barbarian would say, no, not the Scythian. The Greek would say, no, not the barbarian. The Jew would say, no, not the Greek. But yes. In the Scythian, in the barbarian, in the Greek, in the Jew, in the circumcised, in the uncircumcised, in the slave, in the free. Christ is in all if they have faith in Christ. This is a radical transformation of human relationships and how we see one another. You see, this is this is the life above. These are the things above. But first, we need to strip off these things that are on the earth. Now, after hearing these vices to avoid And if you were following along in Colossians, you might wonder how this approach to life differs from the false teachers in Colossae. Because here we have prohibitions. We have things to get rid of. And that's what the false teachers in Colossae were doing, weren't they? They were saying, don't do this. Don't touch that. Don't eat this. Don't taste that. So what's the difference? What's the difference between this approach to to Christian living and the ascetic approach, which is full of prohibitions and taboos? What's what's the difference? Well, one way to get at the difference is to compare the lists. Compare the lists. Let me ask you a few questions. Which is easier, to skip lunch or to conquer lust? Which is easier, to guard 
the, the new moon festival every month or to get rid of anger? Which is a greater accomplishment, a bigger deal, to stop eating pork or stop telling lies? See, if you compare these two lists, you see that one is kind of minor tweaking of human behavior, and you can accomplish that. You can really accomplish that with a little bit of self-effort. You can keep that new moon feast. You can skip that lunch. You can, you can stop eating pork. And then you can feel really good about yourselves like these false teachers. But we've rejected that because that's not the way to really the things above. You see, what we need is not just a, a little bit of a measure of self-effort to, to, to try to develop some spiritual-looking habits that are of no value, as we already saw, in conquering the flesh. What we need is to die. And what we need is to rise again. We don't need a little bit of tweaking at the edges. We don't need a little bit of, of reformation. We need a death with Christ. We need a resurrection with Christ. And that death with Christ, that resurrection with Christ, comes through faith in Christ. We need to die to the old self by faith in Christ. We need to rise with Christ and to put on Christ and to put on that new self. Now, it's to those new practices that we'll turn next week. This week is largely negative, but in order to do what we need to do, we need to get undressed first. You did it this morning. You do it every day. Strip off the clothes that are no longer appropriate and put on the clothes that are appropriate. Today we focused on the undressing, but next week we begin to focus on what a well-dressed Christian looks like. So let's pray. Our God, we look at this, this list or these lists, and we can wag our finger and we can look at others and say, yeah, that's terrible. They do those sort of things. And then we look at the list again and we, we find these things still harbored in ourselves. And so we hear the call once again. This was directed to Christians, Lord. We, we need this to be directed to us too. We need to put away the immorality, the impurity, the passion, the evil desire, the covetousness. We need to Put away the anger, the wrath, the malice, the slander, the obscene talk. We need to put away the lying. And we need to put away despising each other because of social or racial or religious divisions. Lord, I pray that you would help us to get undressed. Strip this off of us, O oh God, that we might put on Christ, that we might put on the things above, that we might walk in newness of life, and even though our life is hidden with Christ in God, we pray that it would be evident to us and evident to all that we have died with Christ and raised from the dead. And we pray this in his name. Amen.